you hear a knock on the door and open it to find two friendly representatives from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise known as the Mormon Church. So what will you say? Will you send them away without a Christian witness? Or will you engage them in a meaningful and Christ-honoring conversation? If you desire the latter, may we suggest the book, Answering Mormon's Questions, by Mormonism Research Ministries' Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson. Answering Mormon's Questions is available wherever you find quality Christian books. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Is the Book of Abraham an ancient text restored. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. We're still wondering why the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints decided to include in its January 2022 edition of the Leahona Magazine an article on the Book of Abraham. Now, we want to clarify that this is in an insert that is only found in editions of the Liahona that go to subscribers living in the United States and Canada. And we're wondering, not only why did they even print this at all, or I should say reprint, because this is not a new article. This is an article that once appeared way back in March of 1997 in the Ensign magazine. And of course, the Ensign magazine is now the Liahona magazine. But why not, if this is so important, because the book of Abraham is a part of unique LDS scripture, why not have this for the whole church to read? If you were to try and find this article on the web, it's not to be found. Now, you can find the 1997 article written by Andrew Skinner. It had a different title, but it was very close. Back in 1997, it was The Book of Abraham, A Most Remarkable Book. This article is The Book of Abraham, A Most Remarkable Gift for Our Time. Now, we're going through the piece, and now Skinner is going to give us a bit of history as to how the papyri that Joseph Smith translates the Egyptian into English came into his hands. And it's under a subheading, an ancient text restored. Now, the question I asked at the beginning of the show is, is it really an ancient text restored? We kind of talked about that a little bit yesterday. And we don't believe it's an ancient text restored because it's really not a translation into English from the ancient text. So certainly it's an ancient text, but it's not as ancient as Andrew Skinner implies, at least the way he stated it in his 1997 article. It reads, the book of Abraham is remarkable in part because of the miraculous way it came to us. Now, at that point in the old article, 1997, Skinner said something else. He said, the book of Abraham itself tells us that its original text is a first-person account written by the great patriarch. To how many of the ancients its contents or subject matter was known, we cannot tell. But we understand that the information in it was, quote, hid from the knowledge of man for 4,000 years, end quote. And this is where Skinner is inaccurate. And I can understand why, in doing a reprint, that they would leave that part out, because there's no way that what Joseph Smith has in 
the book of Abraham, can be 4,000 years old because this text that he's holding in his hand at the time, as I mentioned yesterday, really only goes back to around 50 BC or maybe 50 AD in the late Ptolemaic period. They didn't have anything like what Joseph Smith was holding back at the time of Abraham. So to assume that this is really something that Abraham was trying to convey to us 4,000 years ago would be completely wrong. That's not true at all. It makes me wonder, does Skinner, who as far as we know is still alive today as of this recording, does he really still believe that it goes back 4,000 years? Or perhaps has Andrew Skinner changed his mind? We don't know. But we certainly know that a lot of scholars have changed their mind regarding the Book of Abraham over the past couple of decades. The uh, 2022 edition continues, In 1799, an intensified interest in ancient Egypt was kindled in the Western world when the Rosetta Stone was discovered near Alexandria, Egypt. Made of black basalt, the stone was found by an officer of Napoleon's Engineering Corps. It bore inscriptions in three ancient languages, Egyptian hieroglyphics, Demotic, a simplified script that succeeded hieroglyphics, and Greek. Now, Eric, you and I have seen the Rosetta Stone. It's in the British Museum in London, and it's quite a fascinating rock. It's a big black rock, and the writing is, is white. And certainly, it did lead to a lot of interest in the subject of Egyptology. But even though this article goes on to say, among the European linguists who worked to decipher these inscriptions was the young French scholar Jean-Francois Champollion. He published his results in 1822, which established the discipline of Egyptology. Now, at this point, there's another portion that Skinner's original article had in it that is not in this article. And again, this comes from March 1997. This sentence was in there. These developments involving the Rosetta Stone and Champollion contributed to the coming forth of the Book of Abraham in a significant way. Now, the reason why we have a problem with that, and we're, I guess you could say we're kind of glad that maybe they took that out, is because it's false. What Champollion does, he uses the discipline of Egyptology. You can't say that Joseph Smith used that kind of discipline. He didn't use that discipline at all. The only thing you can say that's relevant to the book of Abraham is the interest in Egyptology based on the discovery of the Rosetta Stone by Napoleon's army in 1799. But you certainly can't equate what Champollion accomplished with what Joseph Smith is giving us in the book of Abraham. That is what becomes very, very misleading. Skinner goes on to talk about Antonio Labolo. He's described as an Italian excavator of Egyptian antiquities. And then he says this. According to Oliver Cowdery's account, written in 1835, Labolo and his work crew had discovered several mummies in one of the catacombs near the place where the renowned Egyptian city of Thebes once stood. After Labolo's death, these mummies and two papyrus rolls and some papyrus fragments that had been placed in some of the sarcophagi eventually found their way to New York City and then into the hands of Michael Chandler. He was told that no one could translate the papyri inscriptions. This is a good time, Eric, for us to ask the question, why? 
Why could he not find anyone who could translate the papyri's inscription? Now remember, this is around 1835. You have Champollion comes out with his results in 1822. But if you do a little more deeper research into this, you're going to find that even when his results come out in 1822, a lot of scholars still had a lot of questions about what Champollion was saying. As late as 1840, you could say there were still several scholars that weren't probably all in agreement and still had a lot of questions that they needed to ferret out. But then eventually, all those questions tend to go away. But in 1835, who would be able to translate this text in the United States? The scholars are over in Europe. And a lot of this stuff, though it's certainly trickling out, especially with the publication of Champollion's results in 1822, but does Joseph Smith have this information? We don't know. But it's interesting when Chandler says he was told that no one could translate the papyri's inscriptions. That's probably because there were no experts at that time in especially the frontier where Joseph Smith is living at this time, which is Kirtland, Ohio. But then Skinner goes on to say this. He learned, however, that a man named Joseph Smith Jr. claimed some kind of special power that allowed him to decipher ancient writings. Now, listen carefully to the way Skinner writes this. He learns about a man named Joseph Smith who has special powers that allowed him to decipher ancient writings. Let's put this in a modern context. If you were told about somebody who had special powers of translation, let me, let me put this scenario before you. You get a hold of a manuscript that comes from your family, and just let's just say in my family it's written in Gaelic, okay? I need somebody who can translate the Gaelic into English to where I can understand it. Am I going to really put a lot of credence in someone who says that they can translate it by special powers? But yet, look at how many people in 1835 have no problem with this. Why? Because they've already bought into the story that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. They already believe he can tell them just about anything and don't you dare question him. You see how dangerous this becomes. Now, when it says special power that allowed him to decipher ancient writings, what ancient writings would, would that have been? Because the Book of Mormon was supposedly translated from an ancient writing on gold plates, but even Mormon scholars will admit, for the most part, he was never looking at the plates. So really, what does that really mean? The Book of Moses doesn't come from any ancient text that we have, and not even his translation of the Bible. That didn't come from an ancient text. He goes back to his edition of the King James Version, which is supposed to be a translation of an ancient text, certainly, but Joseph Smith is not using the ancient text to give us his Joseph Smith translation. His translation has been described as Joseph Smith opening up a King James Bible and just making alterations wherever he saw fit. He didn't need to have any evidence from the ancient text to support what he was changing. So this idea that Smith has special power that allow him to decipher ancient writings, again, we have to ask, what are you exactly talking about? And should that story about Joseph Smith be believed? Going back to the March 1997 original edition that Skinner wrote, this was not in the January 2022 edition. This is what it said back in 1997. The prophet's name continued to come up 
mostly in derision at the various places where Chandler stopped to display his traveling mummy show. Let me just interject, Eric. It's probably because they did not buy into this story that Joseph Smith had special power that allowed him to decipher ancient writings. Remember, his name is being held in derision by non-members. They haven't bought into this idea that Joseph Smith is, in fact, qualified to be a prophet of God. But then it says, in 1835, Chandler finally made contact with the prophet Joseph Smith in Kirtland, Ohio. Do you think he wants to make contact with Joseph Smith because he's really curious about the translation of these ancient scrolls that he has with these mummies? And there were four mummies. There were two scrolls. Or is he really looking for a buyer? Now, we're only speculating. We don't know what was in the heart of Michael Chandler, but he does seem to want to unload these mummies, and he wants to unload the scrolls that go with it. But look at very quickly at the next, the next sentence. The prophet was then inspired to raise money to purchase Chandler's mummies and the accompanying papyri, even though he did not know exactly what the writings would disclose. Kirtland Saints contributed the funds for the purchase. The price was $2,400. And what's interesting about that is it brings out in this article that at this time they were building the Kirtland Temple. They could have used $2,400 to build the Kirtland Temple, but no, Smith is going to take away from that by taking donations from the membership, $2,400, to purchase this papyri from Michael Chandler. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.